0: Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown podcast. My name is Jesse Jones and on the show today we have Jay Ayersman from New Riff Distilling. That's right. Everybody's been saying, "Bring New Riff on the show." Guess what we did? We brought New Riff on the show. You're damn right we did. And Jay Airsman is a wonderful guy to talk to when it comes to whiskey. He's the Vice President and Distiller at New Riff Distilling and we sit down and what do we do? We drink some whiskey, we talk some whiskey, we talk about the beginning of New Riff, we talk about how they got started, we talk about everything under the sun, we talk about guitars, we talk about gin, we talk about you name it, old cars, it's a great conversation, and I had a good time talking to him, so uh, I'm not going to do much up top today, I do want to tell you though about something I have found recently, it's a website called engraved.com, I needed some bourbon showdown Glencairn glasses, I went to the good people at engraved.com, And what did they do? They made me the best Glenn Karen glasses I've ever had. They're absolutely amazing. They did them quickly. They did them professionally. And the customer service at this place is going to blow your mind. And right now, right before Christmas, if I could tell you, I'd say go to Engrave.com. It's EngRVD.com. You can find them on Instagram at EngRVDGifts.com. And guess what? Right now, for the Christmas holiday, if you put in Bourbon Showdown as the coupon code when you go to checkout, you're going to get 10% off your order. That's right. 10% off your order at checkout. Just use the coupon code Bourbon Showdown or Jesse Jones. Both work. Both will get you 10% off. And guess what? It's Christmas time. And these guys have everything you need for the bourbon aficionado on your Christmas list. You want Karen glasses? Got them. You want rock glasses? Got You want to put their name or your logo on a bourbon barrel head? Guess what, Sonny Jim, they can do that too. Engrave.com can do absolutely everything you need for everybody on your bourbon shopping list. Can't endorse them enough. They put out a good product. They've got amazing customer service. And most importantly, they're made up of good people. So if you want to support a good company that does good work, go to engrave.com. That's E-N-G-R-V-D.com and use Bourbon Showdown as the coupon code when you go to check out. Are you going to do that for me? Please do. Buy me a barrel head. That'll be awesome. Just take a picture of my. My face, put it on a barrel head, and then send it to me. I am me, I'll give you my address, but only if a bourbon head with my face is coming my way. Also, if you would please go hit like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the places you get your podcasts. Follow Bourbon Showdown on Instagram, on YouTube, all of the places. But without further ado, we're going to light this candle off right because it's the Bourbon Showdown podcast. We have Jay Airsman from New Riff on the show, and we're going to get this thing started right. Right now baby let's start the show thank you so much for being on the show today sir thank you for having me jesse happy to be here uh, we have jay airsman the vice president and distiller of new riff out of cincinnati ohio how are you today i'm good jesse how are you I'm doing great. I, I, I don't think we are getting the same weather as you guys. Like, you guys got snow and we're getting North Carolina
1: rain, so. Yeah, we finally got some snow. You know, I, we could take our kid uh, sledding for the first time in his life, I, I think, oh, uh, the other day, which was fun. Uh, we haven't had uh, much snow at all, global warming and all that, but we're getting a little bit this year, so it's kind of fun yeah my wife is shoveling uh the snow right now as we speak. She's a native of Minnesota, so it comes naturally <laughs> right right she's <laughs> she's in her element exactly yes
0: that's one thing i i i half miss half don't miss when we were up north, you would have snow uh regularly in the wintertime, and you just learn to live with it and as much as I miss playing in it, I don't miss living in it. you know what I mean right. <laughs> Uh, but But, I wanted to talk to you today we 've been so excited to have new Riff on the program uh, just because you guys have like two thousand and fourteen you 've done so much in such a short period of time. I just thank wanted you. to have you on and pick your brain and and just talk about the meteoric rise that has been new riff on
1: the bourbon scene thank you yes well it 's been it 's been quite a ride Jesse um, The project whole it all started about. Um, Probably very late 2009 and early 2010, we started having the the earliest conversations about it. So, you know, ten years ago or so, we started to float this notion of could we do this ourselves? And and uh, and here we are. Um, it's it's been a fabulous run, and uh, we've got lots of new things coming down the pike. Lots more projects to debut, many more riffs to play, and they get heavier. <laughs> And heavier and heavier as the years go by nice uh, we'll talk about a few of them here today that we we've already debuted and things but uh, man it's been uh, it's been a a lot of fun and uh a, a lot of fun especially to do it with the people that we have it, it it's not apparent to the world who just they just taste you know the whiskey or they read about the awards or or whatever but um, the, the 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 culture that we have built at New Riff is is almost the most for those of us internal to it especially those of us who have been here from the beginning is uh uh almost the sweetest part of it all you know we make we make whiskey together at new riff here this building behind well it's it's a bit of background it's not <laughs> nighttime here in in uh, greater cincinnati we make whiskey together and yet speaking for myself i'd be happy if we made widgets right if we right. could just make widgets together with these people. And by the way, they would be damn good widgets. (laughs) Um, If it's anything
0: like the whiskey, they would be sought after widgets. (laughs) Indeed,
1: Sought after widgets. Yeah. Yeah. Private selection widgets. Well, anyway, (laughs) um, that's, uh, that's internal to new riff, but uh, that is, is almost the best victory of all that this group of, of, uh, corporate refugees or refugees from one thing or another could come together and make a project like this that is so from the heart and so independent. And um, I I just couldn't have written it any differently or, or better if I could have done so, I suppose. That's the best part about whiskey. It seems like
0: everybody that is doing it well, they've all came to it organically. Like, like nothing's forced. It's, it's You've got a passion for it, and then you build off that passion. And the more time
1: and the more heart you put into it, the better the product is. Organically is a word that uh, we use all the time, especially the, the owner and founder, uh, Ken Lewis, uh, my, my boss and my friend since 2001, who we we dreamed this up, I guess. He uses organically all the time. He even by now apologizes. I'm going to say it again, but organically, and uh, it, it's a, one of our token sort of bywords here at New Riff. I've I found myself saying "delightful" a
0: lot lately. I, like I don't know, I don't know what age has just like I, I, I reached a certain age and things went from kick ass and awesome to that's delightful. Delightful. <laughs> but uh, so okay so you and Ken how did that start how did that partnership begin like you guys you said 2000 early mid 2000s you guys
1: were buddies or how did the idea come together that we're going to start a whiskey brand right I I worked at the party source you can't see it in this in this photo here but next door to the distillery is a titanic liquor store called the party source Um, at various times it has been the biggest store in America it might be again. We're not really sure, but um, I went to work. It was founded in 1993 by uh, a serial entrepreneur and uh, liquor store magnate and an amazing American entrepreneur, Ken Lewis, in 1993. And I went to work there in 2001. And I I became Ken's uh, like fine spirits manager, and being the biggest store and the, and the the largest customer in Kentucky, we had tremendous access and very intimate access and close working projects and things like that with many of Kentucky's top distilleries. And by the by the by, that seemed to to coalesce into a notion of maybe we could build one of those distilleries. And Ken generously says it was my idea. I, I never went to Mr. Lewis and said, excuse me, Mr. Lewis, but we should put a distillery in the parking lot and you're going to need to spend about $11 million. Oh, and by the way, you have to sell the store. (laughs) I I never said that. So maybe I supplied the creative and the whiskey philosophy end of things. And Mr. Lewis absolutely supplied the, the entrepreneurialism of the project sort of kindled it, breathed life into that and, uh, uh, made it, made it live. Um, and uh, between the two of us, here we are, years later. We make pretty good whiskey, I guess. I I, I think pretty good is an
0: understatement. Uh, we, we can't gloss over in the parking lot. So so you took the party source and you you built it in the park. You built the distillery
1: in the parking lot. That's well, essentially, awesome. um, more or less. Yeah, we actually built it uh, on a strip of land which had previously been a levee, a, a large mound of, of grass, a hill that protected uh, the city of Newport from floods. And we took down the levee and put up a flood wall. And on that strip of land, we built uh, the distillery. So it looks like it's in the parking lot. It's a slight misnomer to do that. But Ken already owned the real estate. And this is really sort of an extension of sort of a 2.0 of of his original real estate project. And it it, uh, holds the distillery. And we also expanded the liquor store. Uh, Mr. Lewis had to sell the store, of course, in order to own the distillery here. And rather than sell it to the highest bidder who would have probably dismembered it and changed everything. He sold it to the employees. Perfect. It is, it is an employee owned, uh, Titanic liquor store. And again, one of the biggest probably in the world. And, um, is a, a, another sort of, well, absolutely a touchstone of his legacy and the, the linchpin of this, this, this project here where we, where we sit. Uh, some of the fun parts of, of the build out and the, the things like, quote unquote, the parking lot are, <laughs> so if you see here in this picture, right here, there is, let me make this work with my, my background, but right here where my hand is, is a square of concrete that you see on the ground. That square of concrete is, it, it holds a, a manhole. That's right. You're, you're here today, Jesse, to look at a frigging manhole. It, <laughs> it's that, that unsexy. And yet uh, that is the top of our well. The first thing we did when we, we went to build New Rift was we went looking for a better water source than the city of Newport. Okay. And we knew we, could, we knew we could make good water or, or good bourbon on municipal water because that's all they do in Louisville in right, Bardstown right. and places like Lawrenceburg. All of these large bourbon factories tie into the municipal water. They don't run on a, on a little burbling brook of limestone water with the creek running down the hill. That, that's right. a piece of legend. And it was true 100 years ago, but it's not true today. You can't run a large bourbon factory on, on a little spring. But 1830 but water will. Exactly. Yeah. But you can run a distillery of new rift size on a small water source. And we found 100 feet down right underneath the very building where we were always going to build. It was a pristine, fantastic water source for making whiskey. It is uh, to be. It was like, yeah, it's it's kind of spooky. It's one of the most serendip- two <laughs> serendipitous things that happened in making uh, building New Riff, and it's fed by the limestone hills. So if you are at New Riff and you drive to the south, like if you drive to Louisville, you go up a hill in your car, and those hills are full of limestone, and that limestone filters downhill into this aquifer, this piece of groundwater. And so we get 500 gallons a minute of fantastically mineral-rich water that becomes the whiskey. It's When you taste the water, it's a big, fat-tasting water. I'm sure if this whiskey is big and fat-tasting, and we're going to try some in a little bit, it begins begins with the water. On top of that, it's a green energy savings because this groundwater coming up at 58 degrees Fahrenheit every day of the year saves us a tremendous amount of of energy and, and in how much water we need to cool we don't have that's to perfect. cool very much water at all comparatively speaking to a, a larger distillery that runs on city water so uh, it was a win-win both for us and for planet earth that's awesome so so you 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 and him he
0: has the idea you have the idea you you come together whoever whose ever suggestion it was you start the distillery uh when was your first release like when when was the first whiskey when did it hit the market
1: Right. Well, we started distilling in uh, uh, June of 2014, and we, we knew we would wait at least four years. Yep. If it took five years, we would have to go to Mr. Lewis and say, I'm sorry, Ken, we're going to have to go another year. But after, you know, six months or, or a year tasting this stuff, we could see that if it just continues to grow on this sort of track, this linear path, what... what Emotionally, what came to my mind was, we're going to be okay. <laughs> we didn't screw it up. Thank right. goodness. It's going to be at least good, decent whiskey. And it turned out to be double gold medal winning whiskey uh, as soon as it came out. So, like right out of the uh, gate, right? Right. We went to, uh, so we released the first whiskeys in uh, 2018. Um, and uh, in, in August, September 2018. In uh, the new year of, of January 2019, we sent off our entire portfolio, which was uh, bourbon and rye, bottled and bond, and single barrel bourbon, as well as both of the gins that we make. We make two gins at New Riff, Nice. And we sent off these five products to the highest spirits competition in the world, the most prestigious. It's the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Yeah. For many people, it's the only one they care about. We never competed before, but we always knew – once we get there, this will be the, the bar that we have to get over. This will be how we know what, if, how we're doing. And we sent them all off and uh, the, the San Francisco world spirits competition awarded at that time, silver medals and gold medals. And if all of the products of a, of a given uh, of, of all the judges of a given product thought that it was a gold, then it gets double gold. And in an unprecedented achievement for almost any distillery, but let alone a new young distillery competing on the world's highest stage for the first time, not just a double gold or two, the entire portfolio mm. rang up the double gold. Wow. Uh, with one of our products, the barrel-aged gin, claiming best in class. Really? So, uh, that was that was a real, you know, sort of sword in the sand. This was a moment we could know, all right, we, we're, we're – we're on the way we're we're seeing, you know, tangible results of our ultimate goal, overarching goal, which is simply to be one of the world's great small distilleries and to do it with Kentucky sour mash whiskey. That was an astonishing day when that came through. That is crazy. Just right
0: out of the gate to just be thrown into the upper echelon of the whiskey hemisphere.
1: Yeah. And I think it comes through
0: in the taste. I, I, I don't think, um, it's, it's a very, uh, the community, it, it talks. It's, it's like a sewing circle when it comes to, uh, we, <laughs> yes. we, when one person likes it, word gets out. and I mean, that works good and bad. But you guys, I remember hearing about you just like, you got to try this. And that's the best compliment you can get to have been so new is it's already reaching uh, the masses in a word of mouth capacity. Thank you. Yes.
1: Um, so uh, the bourbon community, yeah, they, they, they played a, a huge role in getting us to where we are uh, today. It, it helps to be, I mean, obviously in Kentucky with uh, with a, a sort of built in fan base, if you will, um, and the tourism that comes through there, the tremendous support we get and give to one another in the Kentucky bourbon distilling community um, is, is almost unparalleled in the country. You have the biggest distilleries, the biggest liquor companies in the world sitting at a table with very small places and exchanging ideas and support. And uh, it, it, it's a very fertile ground to kind of grow this sort of thing. And we also... Dare I say, we kind of knew what we were doing in the sense that we had done it at the retail end, at the party source. We knew all about selecting private barrels and running a program like that and some of the ins and outs and implications of that and um, how to sell and market things. There's, There's folks who come into distilling and they used to just be a farmer. Right. And God bless them. I love me some farmers, and we work with our farmers very closely, but that doesn't necessarily prepare you for a career of how do I get a store or a bar to sell this? Right. And we, we knew some of that. So. We were already connected to uh, various and sundry, you know, elements in the in the uh, the the bourbonosphere or the or the liquor industry generally. We already knew retailers. We could call someone up in Chicago and say, "Would your thirty stores like to carry us next month?" Boom, like that. And that's a, a leap that it takes many small enterprising entrepreneurial distillers too. it takes a while maybe to get there. And so uh, we already knew some of that community and, and some of the, those connections and that helped a lot.
0: That's a huge foot up when you, it is. you already have the inroads onto shelves and you already have a solid word of mouth. I mean, the internet loves you guys. Like uh, the social media presence and the, the way people speak of you in like the private groups and everything, it, it's, it's, you had the full triangle right there cool. And are you in how many states are
1: you in right now? You know, I should I should write it down and keep a running tally. We just this year opened uh, Wisconsin and Missouri. Um, And uh, it's a a bit misleading, though, because in some states I mentioned Chicago, uh, we're only right now in one chain of stores in Chicago. We're not in Illinois. Generally, we don't have that much product. We are in California in uh, four stores, I think. (laughs)
0: <laughs> nice the,
1: the country's biggest economy a bigger economy than france <laughs> and yet we're only in four stores well there are there are places where we went and worked with with uh, retailers because of the because they wanted us but also because of the prestige of being with x or y retailer we're in the uk in about three or four stores Um, Again, only the top retailers there that reached out. We don't have enough to supply all of these places, you know, broadband and and all over the place. But can we send some to this store or that store? Here's another example. Uh, We're in North Dakota, right? Why would we be in North Dakota? Well, given our our retail relationships, we had a friend, Ken Lewis had a a friend and acquaintance from his retail days. His his name is Harry. He runs a chain of stores in North Dakota called Happy Harry's. And When we we had whiskey to sell, we called up and said, Harry, are you ready for some new Riff whiskey? And so Happy Harry's is a, a customer of us. We don't need to be in North Dakota to change the game or to sell everything we have, but he's a friend of ours. So of course we, we, send stuff of the, we send stuff around the country like that, that, uh, sometimes is, is not indicative that, Oh, you're really in that many States. Uh, but we're getting around. We are in New York. Uh, we're in Florida. We're in uh, the Pennsylvania liquor system. Uh, we recently added, we Gotta get you into the Carolinas, uh, sorry, New Hampshire and, uh, Jersey was last year too Uh, uh, we're in uh minnesota now i believe uh so uh, we'll get to the carolinas eventually some states are a lot easier to do business in than others yeah the control states can be hard the the control states can be hard but at least in the control states you are dealing with a level playing field agreed the control control states as ken put it i think they they put they screw everybody equally (laughs) so um (laughs) <laughs> There's a lot of hoops to jump through, but they're, they're like we're in Ohio, of course, that's our, our second home state. It's right across the river from us. Uh, we're in Northern Kentucky on the border of, of Kentucky and Ohio in, in greater Cincinnati. And of course we'd be in, in Ohio. Now They're a control state too, and they have their issues, but they, they do a better job than ever. And, and uh, on, on the whole, uh, the control states are, are not too bad to deal with. We'll, we'll get to the Carolinas eventually.
0: I I feel like we have glossed over one of the largest questions people
1: have. How did the name New Riff come about? Like, how did you guys pick that as your moniker? Right. Great question. So naming something like this uh, man, it's, it's really hard, Jesse. Um, you're, you're trying to come up with a name for a product for a, a brand that could be around for generations. And the, the responsibility, the weight of that is really tough. And we sat in meeting after meeting Ken and I, and then later joining us in that uh, endeavor was our uh, vice president of operations, general manager. Her name's Hannah Lowen. Uh, and, uh, she's, um, she, she was in the meeting as well when Ken came in one day and said, all right, I had an idea. And Ken is an old deadhead, all right? When, when we were born, he was probably literally following the Grateful Dead in the proverbial Volkswagen butt. <laughs> you know, um, he's, he's a music fan and, uh, he, uh, he came into this naming meeting and said, I had an idea. What if we, what if we think of the distiller as a musician right. and they know what they're doing. They know how to play. They know their tradition, but, but they're doing a new riff on it a little bit. They change it up every time and they, they, they change it around and it becomes like a new riff and the name was born. So it's, Boom. it says on the back of the bottle a new riff on an old tradition. And and that's what we are. We have learned the tradition. We have inhaled sour mash whiskey making, and that's what we uphold. But we also want to do our own riff on it. Uh, sometimes those riffs are are uh, subtle and and modest, like bottled and bond, which to which we add without chill filtration, and we raise the 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 the, the hallowed tradition of bottled and bond uh, whiskey, bottled and bond act of eighteen ninety seven. We raise that to a new level by committing to do it with no chill filtration and other times we do uh riffs like this one this is called i'm I'm sorry there's no more on the market right now but it will be an annual release this is winter whiskey and this is a mash bill uh, that uh, encapsulates some of the flavors you would get out of chocolate oatmeal stout beer uh, that's a, a, a much heavier, if you will, as I said, uh, riff than, than uh, some of the others. So uh, that's where the name comes from. It's a, a musically inspired uh, term. I'm a guitar player. I am a musician. I wish I could have come up with new riff, but it was Ken Lewis that, that, that gave it the name. Well, you guys have had some pretty cool uh, single barrel picks, too, that
0: I've seen where you've got like Stevie Ray Vaughan on the bottle. I think I've got one coming to me right now that's got like Miles Davis on the bottle. Like there's some pretty cool things that you guys have done just in terms of tying it back to the music.
1: Well if if there are uh you know images of performers on there bear in mind Jesse we had nothing to do with putting those kind of things on uh in fact uh it, it is a good point to underline that at some point you start to get into um trademark and and person and, and violations of of rights to images and things like that uh we we Individual groups that are doing that separate from you guys. Yes. Yes. It it belabors the point that we have nothing to do with it. People assume that, well, you would, you would not think that new rift did that, but in fact, like you just did, people think that we put that on there. I'm a huge Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. I have a guitar right there. I could play you Stevie Ray Vaughan. I'm not putting his image ever on our bottles or Miles Davis. It's good to know everybody listening at home. That is
0: you, you have you some bootleg, uh, yeah labels right there
1: nothing to do with that and frankly wish that people would not uh cross that line it's it's fun to see the, the 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 passion and the the vigor and the the fandom that people go after with these stickers and things that that's the fun part of it the not fun part is when you start to cross over into putting someone's likeness copyright infringement is what it amounts to yeah you can't uh, an, an early one was um was ken riffy and it had the image of the great uh uh, seattle uh and cincinnati baseball player ken griffey jr on the bottle that's his image that's his like you can't just use that uh so those are, are among other issues with these stickers is the copyright infringement so yes we have nothing to do with that please underscore that's good to know uh
0: so you you said you've got a guitar right behind you you were a musician what what got you into the whiskey
1: game well, you know, whiskey was um, a passion for many years. I started uh, studying it. I suppose, I mean, reading books about Scotch when I was teen years old. And uh, by the time I left my freshman dorm room, I had a little Scotch collection, and uh, and some bourbons too. And uh, I've I've was raised by raised in a family that that appreciated good drink and and cultured drink and and the cocktail hour. It wasn't just a shot and a beer. My dad is a martini maker. My dad makes his martinis in a graduated cylinder because he's a chemist. And uh, I was brought up that this is, is, you know, a a thing to do with respect and to treat it right and responsibly, by the way. And so uh, as I became an adult and I, I uh, followed that path as well and started learning about it, it was it was one of those hobbies that turns into a profession uh, when I got into um, uh, beer and wine and gourmet food and various segments of of that whole industry from 1997 onward and uh, uh, worked at the Party Source from 2001. And that's when I formally started working with, so it'll be 20 years in September, I oh, wow. uh, formally started working with spirits and, and wines and things. Well, spirit. I think that's a a good point that you make. I think a lot of people, if their
0: parents uh, demonize it or scare them about it when they're young, then they can grow up and like in college they'll go crazy because they've never had any experience with it whatsoever. Right. Then they can kind of uh, just have the wrong idea about it. Uh, I, I, I we're, we're similar in our household. Like, I love an old fashioned. I love uh, I love a drink neat or on the rocks, and, and the kids see that it's not being abused, it's being enjoyed, and I think there's a gigantic distinction between the two, and it is important for children to know that there's nothing, like, scary or bad about it when they see adults doing it. It's that it's being done responsibly and that it's something right. – It's it's – there's an art to it. It's it's the same thing as fine wine. You're going to get different notes out of different bottles and they can they can kind of appreciate that as they grow up instead of, you know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm from the South originally, instead of like shushing it and uh, uh, hiding from it, you know. Right. So uh, you're in now and you've got everything going. Uh, uh, the winter whiskey, that was one that everybody I, I think you guys did very well with that upon its release, didn't you? uh
1: absolutely it was um you know a, a project of of uh, many years and many many people's inputs we we were all, only always going to call it oatmeal stout bourbon chocolate oatmeal stout whiskey and realized um that uh maybe people would see this and they think it has chocolate added to it or these are bourbon drinkers whiskey drinkers some amount of them don't even drink beer don't even like beer right what should we call it and um between a lot of input, some from our sales staff, some from Ken Lewis, who I think said, well, why don't we make a winter brand out of it? And so we did, but the Genesis of this came, uh, from, um, our head distiller and myself, Brian Sprance, uh, brilliant guy. He came to us from Boston beer and he's a brewer by his background. He was, you know, just about a master grade brewer for Sam Adams. And, um, he joined us as our, as our head distiller, and, and he continues in that regard today. And like I said, a brilliant fellow. And uh, we kick ideas back and forth. He and I are, are historically the sort of whiskey creators at New Rift. One of us will have an idea, and the other will carry it from there. We, we're like a songwriting team, if you will. Leonard McCartney. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not sure who is Jagger uh, uh, Richards and who is Mick Jagger, but <laughs> this this kind of team. And, and so I proposed to him one day, what about, so they make weeded bourbon. What about oats? We can yeah. put oats in a, in a bourbon, right? It's illegal. legal. Mm-hmm. We can make oated bourbon. I handed him that ball and he ran with it. And he said, you know, oatmeal, oatmeal stout. And then he said, chocolate oatmeal stout. And the next thing we knew, we're making chocolate oatmeal stout bourbon with a, a, a grain bill. Here, I'll read it off for you: sixty-five percent corn, twenty percent malted oats, seven percent pale ale malt, five percent steel cut raw oats, and three percent chocolate malt. That's the kind of chocolate malt chocolate oatmeal stout recipe that that Brian would have brewed, uh, or I would have brewed. I'm I'm an old home brewer, uh, but he's he's really a great brewer, and he he would have brewed that kind of thing in his brewing career. And so it was a chance to let, you know, Brian's background inform where we went with that. And what came out was a, I mean, an an oded bourbon would be interesting enough. Oh, yeah. Chocolate oatmeal stout. That's just crazy. But it's yeah. not flavored. It's not finished in a barrel that held oatmeal Great. stout. It's built from the ground up, from whole cloth. We have cut this bourbon and, and, and aged it uh, almost five years. It's about four years, 10 months old, actually, this release. And uh, aged it up to be um, uh, an, an annual release, uh, our winter whiskey.
0: That is beautiful. So that'll be a thing. Uh, what, what time, obviously winter, but what time of year should people be on the lookout for that? Because uh, I, I kind of want one. I really want one.
1: It it ought to come out to our uh, distribution platform and and footprint in, you know the the late later part of every year. Uh, I don't have a date by any means, but but uh, second half of November. I think this Perfect. this batch here came out um, in uh, late November. So uh, just look for it in the holiday season at a at a fine retailer near you uh, across our our, uh, our our platform, I guess.
0: Beautiful. And I I think it's really cool that along with, uh, first off, when a company gets a good product, sometimes they can rest on their laurels and just keep putting out that good product. I love that you guys have expanded on that immediately. Like you had a product, you had the bottled and bond, you had the rye, you, you could have just coasted there for like as long as you wanted to, but you're immediately pushing the boundary. You're letting uh, your distiller come up with uh, you and him coming up with these new cool things that are just like pushing the boundaries of what you're doing. I think that's just commendable Uh, because you you. didn't have to. You could have just sat on it. And, right. and for you guys to be as young as you are, you're also doing a lot in the community. I, I, I love uh, how charitable you've got all of these charitable endeavors in the community. Uh, you've got the community barrel program. You've mm-hmm. got gifts of warmth. Black is beautiful. I, I, it's 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 awesome. And then now this year, what are you doing? You've got the 15-year-old bourbon to benefit restaurant relief funds, which I think is the year for it, uh, of all time for restaurants yeah. and bars to need a helping hand. Uh, could you walk me through the, the benefit uh, restaurant relief fund and your
1: 15-year-old bourbon? Sure. So um, this is clearly not. Distilled or or produced by New Riff. Uh, We are not 15 years old. We're only six years old um, or almost six years old, almost seven. Uh, We opened in in, uh, 2014. So um, we started off, you may remember, with a a purchased brand uh, called OKI, which stands for Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana. And uh, it was uh, several hundred barrels, only a few hundred. Uh, Ken looking back, Ken wishes, I wish I'd bought a few thousand, but we just bought about 330 odd of these barrels. And it was a, a the point to just have a little whiskey brand while we got going. It, it wasn't supposed to pay all the bills. I mean, it made a little money, but if we really wanted to pay bills, we would have bought 3,000 barrels or 30,000 barrels. Right. But that wasn't the point of, of OKI. OKI was to, to get our feet wet. It was to... It was a little bit of a placeholder on the shelf. It was definitely a standard bearer. OKI okay, was bottled without chill filtration. And everything at New Riff, it's, it's here in the bottle, in the glass, bottled without chill filtration. Even the gins are bottled without chill filtration. It was a chance to say, we didn't distill this whiskey, but it's a high rye bourbon, and so is ours. And uh, we were trained by the guy who made it. And furthermore, this is how we think whiskey ought to be bottled no chill filtration. And so it was a way to present our standards to the world. What, what I didn't grasp when we started the OKI project was how much of a rich training ground it would be for our team. We could learn about uh, blending batches together for consistency. We could learn about how to elucidate single barrels. We did some finishes. We fooled around with that. Our, our bottling and, and processing team, they could work with how do you bottle aged whiskey Uh, And and they could do it now when we're brand new, not four years from now. So it gave us a real educational platform for how to work with a brown spirit. And finally, it was just really nice to have uh, some brown spirits in the house than just a bunch of white whiskey, which we also had. But we we wanted we wanted to be able to, to interface with people over a glass of brown booze. So that was the OKI project. OKI okay, was was destined and was meant to die. It's not a sustaining brand. We were never going to do a, a switcheroo where we have OKI and then we we switch our stuff into the the bottle right. um, for the the juice from Indiana. It was always meant to go away. And so by design and like clockwork, in the summer of 2018, as our own stocks were turning four years old, in July of that summer, we ran out of OKI and it was gone. Um, we saved, and by the way, it's now owned by, uh, we sold the brand off to some local whiskey entrepreneurs who are really cool guys, and they, they've done whiskey before, and they know what they're doing, and is in good hands, but it, it has nothing to do with New Rift today. That said, we saved back a few of the last barrels, just on the basis of, maybe there will be a rainy day, maybe right. this could come out. Well, for 10th anniversary, new riff. Maybe we don't know what we'll do with it. Right. But we just we, we should just save a few of these things. And we didn't know what we would do with them. Um, credit to Hannah Lowen. I mentioned her before, our our vice president of operations. She um, you know, bartender friends and, and, and places in the community she goes and was just one day really struck, kind of hit her upside the head that man, these people we have supported and who supported us, they're just crushed. We don't know how much of it will come back. Could we do something to help them? And it dawned on her, you, we've got those barrels of OKI. So we hadn't necessarily planned to use that for them. But it's, it's like you're in, a, you're in a plane. It's on fire. It's going down. There's four of you in the plane. And you suddenly realize, wait a minute. I have four parachutes that I just happened to package in my luggage. Damn (laughs) this thing. Well, good thing I did that. And you distribute the parachutes to everybody. Totally. You know, we just happen to have, listen, we've got these barrels of whiskey here. Why don't we push some of those out and make a relief for bartenders? So it is, is very uh, clearly uh, stated where it's made and that it's not distilled by New Riff. It is a New Rift production, if you will. Right. Um, Right. It's a cool label. The the label's really great. The label's awesome. We're we're all really jazzed with the whole thing thing and most of all to do good for people so um these will be available uh only basically only uh online at our new riff com. you can sign up there to get notice of it and uh, get in the queue to hope to get one. It will be a scrum, I'm sure, to get one. There will also be an opportunity when and if you can buy a bottle of this New Riff Relief 15-year-old bourbon, uh, an opportunity to put in an extra donation to help Northern Kentucky and Greater Cincinnati bartenders and restaurant servers and all those kind of people. The funds are being dispersed by uh, legitimate organizations on both sides of the river in Cincinnati, Ohio, and in Northern Kentucky. The Northern Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, I think, is handling some of it so um it's all very well done and there's an opportunity in there to put in an extra 10 20 50 100 bucks that's uh, awesome uh, there's a phenomenon lately here in Cincinnati of people dropping thousand dollar tips yes. in restaurants. Have you read right. about this? It's amazing yep. Yep. Uh, that coalesce around the basketball rivalry we have of Xavier University and the University of Cincinnati. And if anyone would like to leave a thousand dollar tip uh, on a uh, a bottle of New Riff Relief, fifteen year old, that would be fantastic. You can make it to Xavier or XU, uh, Xavier or UC, or for that matter, you okay. We don't care. <laughs> we'll, we'll get the money to the bartenders and and help sustain them in this terrible winter.
0: I, I think that's absolutely awesome. I, I think people's good nature. Uh, I We can focus too much on the negative sometimes. I think the people that are doing good things are getting overlooked sometimes with all this. Uh, I... I similar as bartenders and waitresses i've been a comedian for so long and now you take the ability to perform live away from you you are you are in dire straits Uh, i was doing a show it's funny that you mentioned the thousand dollar tip i was doing a show last wednesday and this guy he'd already paid for his price he'd already paid for his ticket his socially distanced small crowd ticket and after the show uh, he didn't tip a thousand, but you know, he came up and he gave us a hundred dollars just as a thank you for doing this. Right. And that's not a thing he had to do, but of course it it, it, it was appreciated. It's one of those things that right now people could use. So it's awesome that you guys are going above and beyond to do something, to give back. And I will definitely, I will tell everybody else sing it from the rafters to go out and, and, and donate and sign up and do what they need to do to support it. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, so we are, we, you have sent me some delicious whiskey. Um, before we get to that, I do, I've got two more questions and we'll get there. Um, one with everything that you're doing, you sound like a very busy guy. What do you do on days when you're not making whiskey, when you're not selling, when you're not doing everything that New Riff needs you to do? What's your time off look like?
1: Well, my time off—I—I I feel like I don't have a ton of time off. I suppose I have a, a hundred-year-old house that needs attention, and a, a now eight-year-old boy—he just turned eight uh, last weekend—and uh, that—that keeps us all very busy. So my wife and I are are uh, you know thick in the wonderful weeds of of uh, raising a household. I suppose um, I play guitar. Uh, I work on uh, my vintage car. And what do you um, got? Um, it's a, it's my father's car. Actually. I take care of it for him. It's a 63 galaxy, galaxy. It's, it's fun. Yeah. So I'm a car guy and, um, uh, don't have many cars, but I, I work on that too. Um, and, uh, enjoy, uh, hiking in the woods with the family, I guess. I'm a cook also. I, I embrace you know everything you can eat or drink. I, I love to make it. And so uh, I have uh, prosciutto curing in the basement and oh. uh, I make uh, lots of foods and, and my wife cooks too. And so uh, we're holding up here. I mostly work at home right now in this terrible pandemic and uh, we're making a go of it.
0: That's awesome. Oh man. I, I now want to like, um, I, oh, that's so interesting. You're curing pancetta in your basement. Is, Pancetta okay. too.
1: Pancetta, guanciale, prosciutto right now. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. That's the last me.
0: thing. That's the last thing my wife wants me to get into. I, 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 similar uh, throughout this entire thing, I've been uh, growing, I've been canning, I've been doing all yeah. of the things. Uh, uh, I want to, I want to learn how to butcher. I know that's a weird, that, that might be a weird thing to say, no, but yeah, I would that's love.
1: That's great fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's the same with keeping up the, the galaxy. I think there are some lost arts that people are not keeping up with like they should. Uh, you need to be able to take care of a car. You need to be able to know how to grow your own food. I, I, it's, it's, you, this pandemic has been proof. What are you going to do when toilet paper is not there? What, what if it hadn't come back? There have just been people out there dragging their butts on the ground like the dog because they, they have no clue what else to do. That's the visual. That's the visual. I want people to, uh, to right right then.
1: As you said, you're a comedian. so. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I always
0: like to ask people before we taste their wares, uh, if there was a Mount Rushmore of distillers, who would you put on your Mount Rushmore? Great question.
1: Um, Mount Rushmore of distillers. Um, well, I would have to include uh, the master distiller who taught us how to make uh, whiskey and how to run this distillery, and he, he designed it. He's, uh, I mentioned Serendipity in New Riff. The other serendipitous thing was finding uh, Larry Ebersold, uh, the great master distiller from the Lawrenceburg, Indiana plant. How did uh, we gloss over that? How did yeah. he get involved? Good Lord. I, I usually work Larry into the story one way or the other. It's a fun part of the story. So, and, as, yeah as Ken and I were digging into this project, we realized we we need some help. We can't do it all ourselves. We've never built a distillery valves and all these things who we need a consultant. And, So we went looking and and found, uh, long story short, uh, living in Hebron, Kentucky, that's 20 minutes from the distillery, uh, and right across the river from Lawrenceburg, Indiana, is uh, Larry Eversold. He was recently retired, looking for work, 35-odd years, master distiller at at Lawrenceburg, Indiana, the Seagram's plant, the inventor of the famous 95% rye recipe. He was recently retired and looking for work we said, well, we've got a project for you. And he wound up being sort of a construction czar for New Riff. He was overseeing this entire project. He could sit at, you know, hover in the air at 10,000 feet and draw all of the strings together, the, the, the still making, the, the fermentation, the pipes. There are little pipes at New Riff that are critical, Just a, just a pipe, just a plain old pipe, but critical to our whiskey making every day. We call it the Larry pipe. Little tweaks like that <laughs> that make a, a difference every day in and day out, whether we make good whiskey or not. So um, Larry's the best in the business. You can't say that about many professions, but Larry's so good that when the big, the big multinational conglomerates down south in Kentucky, when their wonderful, avuncular old distillers come up with a problem that they can't solve, they call, they call in the wolf. Nice. They call, they call Larry and he is currently consulting on some major projects down there in Kentucky. So we had the great good fortune, not just to get consulted by a master distiller, but get consulted by master Yoda. Good okay. Lord. So, so he goes on the Mount of Rushmore. Absolutely.
0: Yes. Um, yes.
1: I, I also want to put on the Mount Rushmore of distillers, uh, the, 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 the master distiller, uh, behind uncle nearest, uh, Mr. Green. Uh, African-American distiller, formerly enslaved person who taught uh, Jack Daniels how to make whiskey and got Jack Daniels off on a footing. You can read about the whole story somewhere else. That's a great but, uh, one. But the, the contributions and history behind uh, the, uh, African-American participation uh, willfully or, or not in the Kentucky bourbon in the legacy of, of American whiskey uh, has to be remembered. So Mr. Green is going on my Mount Rushmore.
0: Most definitely.
1: Uh, I'd have to put someone who uh, I followed around uh, a day at Buffalo Trace in 2004, my first tour there. He was probably 85 years old at the time, uh, Elmer T. Lee. And it was a July day. It was about 88 degrees. That old man trooped up and down. We walked all over that distillery. And I got a a personal tour led by him and the CEO of of, uh, Buffalo Trace, Mark Brown and that made a big impression on me that day um and i would put elmer t lee on there uh as well and uh, then finally in in just a very personal note uh i don't know that he's i don't think he ever was deemed the master distiller uh but i would put my friend al young on that uh he meant a lot to me uh the late great al young take care al i love you um And uh, we had a lot of simpatico because he was, in his background, a liberal arts major. And so am I. I'm I'm an English major. I didn't train to do this. I'm I'm proof that liberal arts majors could do anything, (laughs) including (laughs) become, you know, whiskey man or whatever. And uh, Al meant a lot to me personally. So if if it's my Mount Rushmore, I'm putting Al Young on there. Beautiful.
0: Man, what a well-rounded freaking group of people right there. I love that you ended with Al. That's perfect. And now you have been kind enough to bestow upon me some of your wares uh i I, i'm yep we've got the new riff bottled in bond we've got the rye bottled in bond uh uh let's let's drink some whiskey cool let's try that and and if you've got it i also want to see what the gin bottle looks like from new riff i I think it's just the coolest thing my
1: wife loves gin i love gin great great we will absolutely get into that uh so about our bourbon here is our new riff The flagship, if you will, bourbon. Yes. Uh, New Rift bourbon, bottled and bond, without chill filtration. It's embossed in the bottle. This is my favorite part of the package. I love, every time I pour it, I feel it there. It's bottled and bond, without chill filtration. Embossed (laughs) in the bottle. You know, if, if anything went wrong, Jesse, and we had... You know, twenty-five thousand of these bottles on the water from France, and for some reason we couldn't pull off no chill filtration; we would be screwed. <laughs> but uh, but it worked out. And uh, at, at one hundred proof per the regulations for bottled and bond, our stuff is is unchill filtered and reliable. And we retain because it's unfiltered all of the the aroma and the flavor, but also all of the color, and it, very importantly, all of the texture of the barrel gets to the bottle. So we we keep all the oils and fats and the cream and stuff like that all of that is in there so uh it is uh bottled and bond without shell filtration as we mentioned on the back label we don't just do bottled and bond because it's a market segment it's actually the only thing we do it's the only way we make whiskey except for the single barrel i'll show you that in a minute here is back to the winter whiskey look how we did winter whiskey Bottled and bond without chill filtration. Anytime oh, we come out with a new whiskey. Now you're taunting
0: me. Now you're teasing me with this winter whiskey.
1: We, we never come out with small batch. We never come out with two-year-old 80 proof for mixing cocktails. We never right. come out with one that we put in a can and send it to Australia. The only way we put out bourbon is and, and any whiskey is bottled and bond or higher. In fact, frankly, the, the single barrel is barrel proof. And that's why it can't be bottled and bond. But it still adheres to all the other standards, such as four years old. So that's what I,
0: that's what I dig about you guys though. I mean, you're, you're not going to jab, you come out with fricking Tyson
1: punches every time. <laughs> I like it. Tyson punches. Yes. Uh, so by, by putting our, you know, sort of stick in the ground with, with, with bottled and bond we are we are not merely making it a, a, a product or a market segment or a way to appeal to hipster bartenders or old men or something like that we regard and we put it on the back label bottled and bond is actually the world's highest since 1897 world's highest quality standard for quality in brand age spirits. It's higher than the standards in Scotland, higher than the standards in a fantastic uh, spirits region like like Cognac. Uh, right. it's, it's still the world standard for quality, legally speaking. And so as we were developing New Riff and wondering how, how are we going to make this product? How are we going to market this? We realized if we really mean it hard on our sleeve, you know, that, that quality is number one at New Riff. How can we not make everything we do at the world's highest quality standard, it's the only it's way like to do there's it. There's no other choice, you know. The only way to do it. So uh, that's all we do. Um, it might be too strong for some people. I'm sorry add a little water. That's how I drink it. Um, But uh, uh, that's why it's bottled in bonds. So the grain bill in this, as I alluded to earlier, it's high rye, um, 35, I'm sorry, 30% rye and 65 corn and 5% malted barley. This is a genuinely high rye uh, bourbon uh, that we make. It's it's not an imposter. I see people sometimes with 12 or 15% rye and they call it high rye just to climb on a bandwagon. So there's no definition for high rye. I always figured that well first of all if the if the progenitors of high rye which were four roses and the Lawrenceburg Indiana plant they make rye whis uh, uh bourbons at 20% rye and 35% rye and I think both of those qualify as high rye. So if you're over 20% eh, that makes the cut for me to be high rye. We are double the the typical industry average and so that's unquestionably a high rye bourbon.
0: I love the nose on this. I I it's you know that you're getting a powerful product like the nose is not faint it is not it, there's not a hint of something there you have a full bodied nose delivering on everything you expect on a
1: bottled and bond spirit thanks thanks Jesse that's what we were aiming for we we had no intention of making mild right, gentle right. whiskey we wanted to make full-throated bold <laughs> powerful uh, stuff and, and a great way to get there is high
0: rye I mean, it kicks the door down. You're getting that spice. You're getting that sweet. I, I, my, my. Th- I've been trying to limit myself lately on like giving descriptors just to give descriptors. I think the overarching notes that you're getting from things, you, your palate's gonna be different than my palate. We can break it down like a fingerprint. I might smell this. You might smell that. But this right here is a full-bodied, sweet, spicy. Just a just a handful
1: of goodness that's gonna smack you in the face, but in a good way. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. That's what we're aiming for. So I like to drink it with a splash of water because again, it is unchill filtered. Okay. And when I add a little water, I look in the light and I see these oils. I don't know if you can see that on the interweb, but these oils swimming around. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, inside the glass. See? Uh that happens in in any whiskey, but it, it happens to a, a marked degree in uh, in an unfiltered whiskey. Those are the oils that would have been attenuated and diminished if we had 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 filtered it so uh, drink it any way you want if you want to add coke that's fine. I've been saying for twenty years, drink your whiskey any way you want, just buy it from me <laughs> <laughs> you know? that's but, exactly uh, right but i I like to add a a little splash of water and it changes the whiskey and more flavors come out and different flavors than are in the straight nose. All
0: right. I'm going in. Cheers, sir. Thank you. Go for it.
1: Mm. Good stuff,
0: man. I've been a fan of you guys since you came out. It really is just so good. And you know what it is? It's because it's whiskey. It's like we were just talking about. It, it, it isn't trying to be a lighter version of whiskey. It is what you want when you reach for a glass. It's a great mouthfeel. It is a full-bodied, there's dimension to it. And then the, the finish is uh, it woven together with the palate. It, it's what you want when you're going Thank for you. a sit-down, drink whiskey whiskey.
1: Thank you. That's a great way to put it, Jesse.
0: And to everybody that normally likes to hear me pine on with descriptors, I'm trying something different. I'm trying to desperately get away from talking for five minutes about words that you guys can't smell or hear or touch. I I, I love it. I love it. And then on like the second and third sip, you're getting that sweet note that follows you with the spice. It's it's so damn good. Hmm. So, what are you doing
1: well today, as we say?
0: Yes. Oh, yes. The filet mignon's on the menu right now. Uh, Which is your favorite? Which one do you sit down with at the end of the day?
1: Well, favorite. I mean, it's like your favorite child, you know, but um, day uh, by day. I I have a soft spot in my heart for both of the bottled and bonds because of of the statement that that makes, um, and uh, that that's that's almost the harder thing to commit to and pull off than single barrels. Um, we are I'll, – I'll talk briefly about our single barrels, uh, too, before we're out here, Jesse, but um, the, 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 the there's virtually no other distillery I know of that only bottles bottled in bond. Uh, Wilderness Love Trail it. is making a good effort in that direction, but I, I, I don't know whether everything they do is, is like that. But be that as it may, um, it's – Kind of a rarity anymore that that people only do bottled and bond whiskey, and it, it underlines one of, as I said, Kentucky's greatest, America's greatest traditions of uh, of fine alcoholic beverages. So uh, both of these are are really my favorites: the the bourbon and shall we get into the rye? Yes, please. Twist your arm, right? Oh yes, you don't have to ask me twice. You thought I'd never ask. I've been waiting. <laughs> I will say I really enjoy playing around with rye in cocktails where sometimes it wouldn't go. For example, I drink these year round. I just had one a couple of days ago, a mint julep. Yes. In Kentucky. It's all about the, the horse race, and people don't drink mint, mint juleps year-round, and neither do they often make them from scratch. It's so easy. Just put a sprig of mint in it and, and so on and so forth. Well, uh, a lot of people drink uh, bourbon with that. Our, our mint, our, our rye, as you'll taste here, I hope, in a minute, will, will have very often, not in every bottle, but very often have an element of minty quality. Like, and, and I don't mean like a peppermint candy or toothpaste or something, but like wintergreen. Or spearmint. Sometimes it crosses over into something like uh, like root beer, like sassafras, oh, sarsaparillas, things like that. You know, these root-derived spices, as well as um, almost always, it has flavors of clove. Uh, often there are things like uh, peppercorns or pink peppercorns, v- a variety of peppercorns. Uh, there can be a grassy quality, but this minty thing, when it happens, is is really cool. And and how how nice is it to set that off against the sprig of mint in your glass? So lately, I've been enjoying rye. Mint juleps. Oh, you know, that's beautiful. They, that would be verboten at, at Churchill Downs, <laughs> but I love it, and and I, I encourage people to try a mint julep more often than just the first Saturday in May.
0: Oh, so here's our rye. Oh, the spice comes through. It, it, it's oh, it's
1: beautiful. Grain I want, bill. I want, crawl, I want to crawl into it and swim around. Get some yeah. wellies on. Grain bill on this one is ninety five percent rye, five percent malted rye. So we, I'm trying to make there. Those here's are my the favorite. Oh, yeah. Uh, 5% malted rye, not malted barley. So we call it 100% rye and uh, uh, is is unapologetically spicy. If if you can't taste you know, spicy rye whiskey after this, then, then maybe you got the coronavirus <laughs> or something.
0: I don't know. But, um, I was going to say, maybe I'll keep this like next to my bed. I'll wake up, yeah. I'll take a snort. I know that I can smell and taste.
1: Yeah. So very spicy whiskey here. I uh, for beginners and and newbies to bourbon and people just exploring it, a, a whiskey like this is is a great sort of training ground to learn. And I, I did things like this eons ago when i was learning about how to taste bourbon so in in most bourbons there is this component of what we call the small grains it's a percentage of rye sometimes it's a percentage of wheat and there's barley in there too and to learn about a whiskey you ask yourself taste it and what are the small grains doing in this or that whiskey and tasting rye and learning about rye like this uh I then can go back to the bourbon and say, aha, now I'd really taste the rye in the bourbon. It helps to train your palate on something that is so, uh, you know, explicitly flavored with, in this case, spicy rye, and then transfer that, that palate knowledge to bourbon. And it was a, was a step in my own education to, to drink rye and then go back to bourbon and learn about it. So training wheels here uh, are rye whiskey. I if love it had it.
0: I absolutely love that. Uh, I, so many people, they write in and they ask us, like, how do I expand my palate? And I, I always tell them, just try different things. Uh, to your point, like if you go through this and you can identify the rye in your rye, then you'll go back to the bourbon and you'll be able to like, oh, that's what that was. Mm-hmm. I, 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 mm-hmm. perfect exactly. Palate. All right. God, I love a good rye. Let's just sit here. Just sit here and just swim in that for a second. 95. 95- a real head nodder. Oh man. <laughs> I I've been on such a rye kick lately. And and it's so God, you could just sit down with this. And spend 45 minutes. This is like a fine cigar. This is one of those things, like every sip, you're going to get something else from it. It's just so nuanced in its flavor. It, it, commendable,
1: sir. Good job. Thank you. Thanks. Well, thanks to our distilling team. We, we couldn't do it without, without this awesome group of, of people who distill whiskey and fix the pumps every day that move the whiskey around and, and things like that. It's, it's a total team effort at New Rift.
0: I love the finish. I absolutely love the finish on this.
1: Man, this is like such a...
0: For everybody out there, because I, 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 I've I got a lot of friends that covet your brand and they mm-hmm. go and they get it and they 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 always go for the single barrel and they go for the bourbon. I, I say go for the rye, man. If you see both of them, buy both of them. But good
1: Lord, that's good. <laughs> man, it's a lot of fun. You know, a fun anecdote, uh, Jesse, is because... 30% of our bourbon is, is, consists of rye grain, and 95% of the rye is rye grain. We actually go through, even though we make more bourbon than rye, and I don't think this has ever happened in Kentucky bourbon history. I'd be surprised if it did. We make more, we use on an annual basis about 20% more rye than we do corn really I, yeah it 's unbelievable. Nobody in Kentucky ever did that. We make a lot of rye, uh, but uh, those old time distillers they hated making rye. They made as little as possible. We make rye uh, literally about half half of the time between uh, between bourbon and rye. Uh, it, about half of our of our fermentations are made out of rye. So, well, it's uh, a harder our, grain to mash, isn't it? It, it? It's much harder. It's probably the hardest whiskey mash in the world to make. It can uh, get gummy. We, gummy, oily. It, it foams up in the fermenter. It gums up the stills. It requires more cleaning. There's a reason the old-time distillers hated making it. Uh, we were trained in the, the black arts of how to make this stuff by Larry Ebersold, the man who invented it. Who who created this ninety five percent rye recipe and he taught us the secrets. So uh, we love making rye and we actually go through quite a lot more rye than we do corn. It's unbelievable.
0: I got the mint at the like oh man Ah, like in the finish in the finish what a wonderful place for that little burst of cool to come in. Mm -hmm. Oh that's awesome. There's, there's, there's only been one other ride that I've said this about, but I want to fill up a pond with this in the winter and skate on it, then melt it in the spring and drink it.
1: (laughs) Make a, make a mint julep out of that,
0: please. Oh yes, dear Lord. I, I, I will send you a picture because a mint julep, the next time I go to the store, the next time now that we're all in like 1920s uh, walk to the store to avoid be, seeing people, I'm going to get some mint and I, I will definitely make a mint julep from this because it is the de- vine.
1: Cool, cool. So you mentioned uh, single barrel, Jesse. I just, would just briefly uh, mention yes. single barrel. This is actually the dirty secret is it outsells the bottled and bond bourbon. Uh, a lot of people see single barrel and they just run with that. Well, and, it's delicious. Uh, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, because we are a relatively small distillery, uh, we have a, a sort of a special angle to the production of single barrels, which we frankly did not even plan to do when we built the place, it's, it's small enough new rift that, uh, I mean, we make 8,000 barrels a year. By no means are we tiny, but, uh, we have a, a, a gauge tank where the spirit goes, the, the, the high wines, the, the white dog, goes from the still before it goes in the barrel. And that tank is only big enough to hold one fermentation at a time. So we distill a fermenter, it goes in the tank, and it goes in the barrel. The next one, that goes in the tank, and that goes in the barrel. So each fermentation is barreled, not completely discreetly, but more or less discreetly from the next Wow, and, and the prior. And that means that we capture not only the difference from the barrel to the barrel to the barrel, but we capture the difference from fermentation to fermentation. And Literally a be, single barrel. Yeah, that, that can be a profound difference because one lot will be sweet, and then this lot is dry, and this one is spicy, and this one is very oaky. And we have the opportunity to explore these flavors in our single barrels that go beyond, again, the mere difference of the barrel. So Uh, if you get a new rift single barrel and it's it's it can be very in one direction or the next maybe it's too sweet for you maybe it's too spicy please go try another one because it will probably be markedly different than the last one Uh, that's just been a lot of fun and again we had no intention of playing it out that way we just put in a a, the, the biggest gauge tank we could which only held one fermentation because we're a small distillery Oh, man,
0: I I, I foresee a super fun follow up to this Where like me and you sit down and blind taste some single barrel and just just pick out the different notes that we get from barrel to barrel.
1: We could arrange that. That would be fun.
0: That would be awesome. All right. Well, I have kept you, sir, longer than we had planned on. I know that you were a busy guy and I I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. It is uh, a man. You guys produce some good juice and keep up the good work because good Lord, it is, uh, it is phenomenal.
1: Thanks, Jesse. Uh, just to follow up on one last item, you mentioned it earlier, so I'll, I'll bring it up again, oh, but the gin, uh, the gin, uh, our gin yes. Uh, we make a, a, a gin brand that we call Kentucky wild gin. You can see the label here. Yeah. Uh, this is something we have made from the er- from the early days, uh, we started distilling that gin. The first batch was in October of 14, I think. And, uh, it's a gin. I'm the gin maker at, at new riff. Again, I was raised by my father, a martini man and learned the, 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 the love of martini, uh, from those days and, uh, wanted a, a a, a project like that. But also, of course, in the early days, especially it was a nice revenue stream because we didn't have to age it. So right. we, we I, I made a gin that was, uh, I wanted a gin from here, from, from this land, from yeah, where we yeah, come yeah. from. It wasn't going to be an Old Tom or a London Dry. I wanted a, a gin of the Ohio Valley of Kentucky. And so we, we put in here some native wild foraged, wild grown, They're not commercially available botanicals. It has 12 botanicals in our gin, uh, many of which are traditional gin ingredients, obviously juniper and coriander, but also angelica root and orris and three kinds of citrus and things like that. But we put in local wild foraged juniper. We have a local juniper here in Kentucky. And we also have a plant called the spice bush. These are ancient plants of the Ohio Valley. The Indians, uh, literally there are records of Cherokee Indians flavoring possum. With oh. spice bush, okay. If if a thousand years ago you were eating a <laughs> raccoon how, on the banks of the Licking River, how would you flavor that critter? And you would flavor it with spice bush. So we have we have inculcated uh, uh, native local wild botanicals into our gin and made what we hope is truly a gin of Kentucky, a gin that speaks to the flavors that have been kicking around and echoing in the Ohio Valley for for literally thousands of years. Uh, the settlers ate these things, the the Native Americans ate them, and uh, we are proud to put them into the gin. So we make uh, Kentucky Wild Gin, and we also make a bourbon barreled version of that as well. Which Good Which makes lord. A, a wicked gin old fashioned. Try that sometime. Good lord.
0: Okay, now I wanna see a special release called Fancy Critter Kentucky Wild.
1: <laughs> Maybe we can put some possums in the barrel. <laughs> no, we, we would never do that. <laughs> Uh, Okay. So what goes into a gin old
0: fashioned? I'm, I'm kind of captivated now by two things. I want to know about a gin old fashioned and I want to know how you make your martinis because Friday is upon us and I love a good martini as much as I love a good old fashioned.
1: Friday is definitely wild gin martini night here in the Ayersman household. Uh, we save it for then, I think. So um, I, I mentioned a, a gin old fashioned. The proper name of that cocktail actually is not a gin old fashioned. It is. Uh, you ready, Jesse? Yep. You ready? I'm, I'm gonna ready. lay it on you. I'm gonna lay it on you, brother. It's bring it on thick. The it's called the gin cocktail. Oh. Oh. That's it. So what that is referencing is... They kicked the door open with that one. Yeah, is 200 years ago, or in 1806, when one of the first, if not the first, written reference, or actually it was a definition of what is a cocktail was put in print in an upstate New York newspaper. Go look it up. Um, They defined a cocktail as booze or spirits, a little bit of sugar and water and bitters. And they didn't even have ice then, but then we would have ice. Well, that is an old fashioned. That is a whiskey old fashioned. And so if you walked up to your bar in 1806 and said, barkeep, I'd like a whiskey cocktail. You would get something similar to an old fashioned today, except probably not with a Marschino cherry garnish. Right, right. If you walked up and said, I want a rum cocktail, you would get all of those things except it was rum. If you walked up and said, I want a gin cocktail, you would get uh, a gin with with sugar, water, bitters. And today we add ice and we do add a maraschino cherry garnish <laughs> ah. and an orange peel and stuff like that. So a, a gin cocktail is is just an old fashioned but made with gin. Now it's an, an interesting cocktail when you make it with with any old gin, but it's really cool when you make it with a bourbon barrel gin, like we Ooh. make at New Riff, Ooh. because when you have pulled out the whiskey, you pulled away the, the barrel, the char, the, the vanilla, the oaky tones. But when you put in a bourbon barrel gin, you return some of those flavors to your cocktail and it makes for a real question of what in the world am I drinking is it an old-fashioned but I thought it was a gin cocktail but it tastes a little like whiskey it's a fascinating way to enjoy uh, uh, an old-fashioned cocktail a great way by the way to, to drink gin in the winter because people don't want really gin and tonics in this kind of weather. But a a gin old-fashioned, a a gin cocktail with bourbon barrel gin is is really cool. So that's one of my favorite uh, cocktails to make with our bourbon barrel gin. That sounds amazing, especially the bourbon barrel gin. I've never thought about it like that before. Mm -hmm. Another great cocktail, I won't go into the whole making of it. You can research it later, is uh, uh, very similar. It's called the Martinez. The Martinez cocktail, Write it down, and that is a Manhattan with gin swapped in for the whiskey. Really, and everything I said about the, the 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 gin cocktail and bourbon barrel gin applies to the Martinez, almost doubly so because it gets more complicated. You've got vermouth and stuff in there. Uh, a, a Martinez is uh, also a very cool gin whiskey ish whiskey ish gin cocktail, and and I make those all the time, especially this time of year too. I'm not drinking gin and tonics. <laughs> right, right. That for the summer. Yep, save it for when it's hot outside. That is beautiful. Okay, so the gin cocktail,
0: the Martinez. Now just hit me in on your martini, and and, and we will be good to go. Cause I am I'm I you I'm, I want to hear your father's recipe.
1: I was raised right. <laughs> and uh, I, I make a, a dry martini. I do a lemon twist. My dad drinks a lot of Gibsons. He often puts a, a, a cocktail onion in there. And, and I don't drink Gibson so much, but I drink it with a twist. Uh, I love olives. I don't love olives, especially the juice in my martini. Uh, dirty martinis are not my thing. God love you, dirty martini drinkers. If you drink a dirty martini, please drink it with my gin. But <laughs> I, I, I like uh, a twist. I think that the lemon does the best job of highlighting uh, the flavors in there. And on on the uh, on the you know question of of ratio and how dry, using my graduated cylinder, <laughs> the fun part of making cocktails this way is that uh you can you can tweak it r- right on the go for how dry or, or not dry you want it i usually hover around about a probably a seven to one ratio of gin to dry vermouth i do think it's important to put in dry vermouth if if you are drinking a gin martini but you're you're not adding any vermouth you're just drinking gin on the rocks now that's a great drink too especially if you drink mine yeah. but but uh, <laughs> that, that's not a martini you have to right. put in vermouth, right? Right, right. And there, there's a notion, it kind of goes with people who won't add water to whiskey. Well, I don't add any vermouth to that. I don't want dry, dry, dry. In my opinion, it's not a martini until you add that vermouth. So, um, I do about a, anywhere from six, seven, or eight to one uh, gin to martini. It depends on the gin a little bit. It depends on the vermouth. Right. But I'm usually about a seven to one ratio uh, with a twist. And uh, if, my, uh, if my child is behaving and my kitchen isn't destroyed and I have time that night, I will serve it up. But nice. I drink, I drink a, I'm not ashamed to say, a whole lot of martinis on the rocks because I just don't have time.
0: Yeah, yeah. stir
1: and chill the glass and all of that stuff. I hear that I need to do every day. (laughs)
0: My son is nine. I I completely yeah. I, I understand you on that one.
1: I, I just got back in probably the last twelve months or eighteen months, got back to being able to put garnishes in the cocktail. <laughs> you know, the first six years I didn't even garnish it. Just no, pour it no. in the glass, knock it. Yeah. And and now I'm back to where I can take the time to make a lemon peel or whatever. Right, right. From here <laughs> to here. Yes, exactly. Stir it with your finger. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And, and, and just guzzle it down so that you don't have to. Uh, oh, okay, some. Okay, I guess I got to go do some other thing now. The kid needs me. I, yes, I completely relate to that. That is. Uh, that is the new parent. That is. I think we have until thirteen before that starts to go
1: away. And, and then they start hating you. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And then around twenty-two, they're going to ask, "Oh, you're you're." Your gin cocktail's better than the one I've been making with uh, aristocrat gin. Could you please walk <laughs> me through, Dad, how to make it better? And then you'll bond all over it again. We'll we'll raise them right, Jesse. That's exactly right. We will, sir. <laughs> all right. I thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been a phenomenal conversation. I've loved talking to you. I hope to do it again soon. Thank you, soon. Jesse and and uh, can people as soon as this is over as soon as this whole thing's over can people come tour the the, the distillery
1: can people come see you guys Absolutely. Uh, we were open for tours uh, through much of last year. Uh, I think we're closed right now uh, just due to not a lot of activity, but we will be open, I, th- you know, God willing and the creek don't rise again in the spring. So there are tours to be had now, but they are smaller tours, no uh, reservations only, no walk-ups, uh, masked and distanced, and they are limited in their scope of what we used to do around the distillery. Uh, but absolutely, when all this is over, uh, we are open, uh, right now we're open Five days a week We're closed Monday and Tuesday But uh, in the future Open again uh, Six days a week And as we say in Kentucky Y'all come back now <laughs> Well very good I, Thank you
0: so much for your time Jay I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you My pleasure Jesse We'll do it again I hope so Take care There you have it, everybody. That is this week's episode of the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. We want to thank Jay for coming on the show. New riff, man. How good is that whiskey? I can't get enough of it. The whiskey, the rye. I had something the other day. It's the Balboa. Good Lord, if you tour the facility, they have on premises a Balboa rye that you can buy. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow your socks off. Then you're going to put your socks back on because it's cold outside. doesn't matter. It's a damn good frickin' product. So, cannot say enough about uh, the good people at New Riff. And we want to thank Jay for coming on the show and talking whiskey with us for a little bit. I also want to thank Engrave.com for sponsoring today's episode. That's engrvd.com. They make Glyn Karen glasses. They make rocks glasses. Anything you want engraved, they can engrave, and I cannot stress enough just how awesome a people they are and how good a product they make. Right now, if you go and put Bourbon Showdown or Jesse Jones in the coupon code at checkout, you're going to get 10% off for this Christmas season, baby. That's right, so please go and visit them. Buy something nice for me or a loved one this holiday season. And that is this week's episode. Tune in next week when we have more Bourbon Showdown. I don't know who we're going to have yet. Yes, I do, but I'm not going to tell you. You got to tune in next week. Find out what kind of goodness we got in store. We're marching towards Christmas. There's more coming down the line on the Bourbon Showdown podcast, baby. And we'll see you next week. I'll see you on down the road. I'm going to keep saying goodbyes until I get to the goodbye. Raise your glass. Kick some ass. And I'll see you next week on the Bourbon Showdown podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.